That song is a great segue into the title of my message today. It's time to rejoice. And we turn to Luke chapter 15, and we begin reading at verse 11. Very familiar parable that Jesus told, Luke 15, beginning at verse 11. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, and I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, and he was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me, and all that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given to us, this parable of Jesus, this story that illustrates the truth of the need that every one of us have to be brought from death to life, those who are lost to be found, sinners to come to their senses and recognize how good it is to be in a right relationship with you. And when someone comes to that point in life where they realize their need, And respond to the grace of God. It is time to rejoice. And so, Lord, give us joy today as we look at your word. Draw us to Jesus, we pray, for we ask in his name. 
Amen. How many of you have learned that you can't please everyone? Okay, how many of you are still trying? (laughs) If you've come to the realization that you cannot please everyone, I'd say you're in good company because Jesus didn't please everyone either. And the context of the parable that we are looking at today makes that very clear. Jim read the verses from Luke 15. But verse 1 says that all the tax collectors, the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. But the Pharisee and the scribe, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. How awful this man receives sinners and eats with them. What a terrible thing, huh? <laughs> this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus tells, in this chapter, three parables to show the Pharisees and the scribes that what they are grumbling about, they really ought to rejoice in. And the reason they ought to rejoice in is when the sinners and the tax collectors come to Jesus and their life is changed, heaven rejoices in this. And if heaven rejoices in this, then we ought to rejoice in this as well. The first parable he told was of the lost sheep. If you have a hundred sheep and one is lost, won't the shepherd go out and find him? And when he brings him home, they rejoice. And Jesus said the same is true in heaven. When one sinner comes home, all heaven rejoices. And then the parable of the lost coin. If a woman has a coin lost in her house, isn't she going to search everywhere? Yes, she will. And when she finds it, she rejoices. And in the same way, there is rejoicing in heaven. And as we come then to this third parable, the the message is really the same. There is this, this focus, this theme of rejoicing. Look at verse 23. The father said, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. Verse 24, for this son of mine was was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 32, but we had to celebrate, the father said, and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead. He's begun to live. He was lost and has been found. So if heaven rejoices, shouldn't we rejoice as well? Absolutely, we rejoice. Notice, first of all, it's time to rejoice when sinners come to their senses. When sinners come to their senses. The younger son in this parable clearly did not act in a very sensible way, did he? We notice, first of all, how he rejected the love of his father. Verse 12 says, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. If you were a scribe or a Pharisee and you were listening to this parable that day, you would have been shocked. You would have been absolutely shocked to hear what Jesus said. Because this was an outrageous, this was an unheard of demand for a son to ask of his father while his dad is still living. John MacArthur says, for a son to say such a thing to his father in that culture was tantamount to saying that he wished that his father was dead. Since he was not entitled to his share of the inheritance while his father was still alive. 
Since his father retained control and oversight of the estate as long as he lived, from that son's perspective then, that dad stood in the way of his plans. He wanted his freedom to leave the family and and gratify his own selfish desires. And if a son would have done that in that culture, that would have been a shameful thing. And he likely would have been shamed publicly by his father. So this request really shows the root of this young man's problem. He didn't have a right relationship with his father. In spite of all that his father had done for him, he did not love him. He did not respect him. In fact, he wanted to use his father to get what he wanted, to fulfill his selfish desires. I would suggest to you that this is how many people in our culture today treat God. They don't really love Him. They don't respect Him. They just want to use Him. Use Him to get what they want. They want God to help them when they're in trouble. They want God to heal them when they're sick. And if God doesn't do what they ask Him to do, they're gone. Turn their back on Him. Oh, what a loving God, huh? Look at this. Look at that. He didn't do this for me. He didn't do that for me. As if God is somehow... A glorified bellhop that we just tell him what to do and he'll do it for us. That's using him. And that's how this boy looked at his father. The second thing he did that was not sensible was to squander what his father had given him. Verse 13 says that not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. You see, he took off to a faraway country because he knew that his father would not agree with what he did with his estate. So he went far from home. Nobody knew him. He could live any way he wanted to live and there wouldn't be anybody telling him what to do. And I would suggest to you that for a time, he had a blast. Enjoyed the freedom. Hebrews 11.25 says that there is a certain amount of pleasure in sin, but it is a passing pleasure. It does not last. And soon the consequences come with that kind of a lifestyle. The young son discovered this in in a hard way. Verse 14 says, Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs, the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. I will bet you that he had all kinds of friends, and I put that in quotes, all kinds of friends when he had money. You got money? You got friends, right? And they gathered around him, you know, and, well, let's party some more, and let's have another drink, let's do this, let's do that. But when the money was gone, did you notice that the friends were gone, too? And he ended up not just feeding the pigs, which would have been the last thing a Jew would do, feeding unclean animals. 
But he ended up being so destitute that he would have gladly filled his stomach with the food that the pigs were eating. He had come to the point where he had hit bottom, but this is exactly what he needed. Because this is when our text says that he came to his senses. Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm I'm dying here. I will get up and go to my father and will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. Isn't it something to rejoice in when someone comes to their senses? When someone finally realizes where their life has been headed away from God, and they come to realize that that is not the way that they want to live, it can be painful to watch. And some of you have seen that in family members, friends, relatives, coming to a place of realizing their need in a very painful way. But if the end result is a restored relationship with the Father, how can we not rejoice in that? So do you need to be restored to the Father today? Have you rejected His love for you? Are you squandering the gifts that He has given to you? This young son was, but he finally came to his senses, and there's joy for that. The second thing we see in this text, it's time to rejoice when the dead come to life. When the younger son first left home, he probably said to himself, this is the life. (laughs) This is the life. I've got money. I've got freedom. I've got friends. It's time to eat, drink, and be merry. Let's have a party. This is wonderful. Look at the wad of cash I got in my wallet. But you know, there was a problem with that kind of thinking. Because the life that he was living really wasn't life at all. For one thing, the life he was living was leading him down the road to death. If he didn't return to to his father, his sin was literally going to kill him. Now, he said it himself in verse 17. He said, here I am, dying here with hunger. We all know that one day we are going to die because the wages of sin is death. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, death came into the world. It is an appointment that we cannot avoid. And it will be an appointment that you will not be late for. It is appointed unto men once to die. You might be late for church, but you're not going to be late for that appointment. Some of you need to hear that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 17 says that our sin can lead to an early death. Ecclesiastes seven seventeen says, Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool, 
Why should you die before your time? If this younger son didn't turn from his sin, he was going to die an early death. And there are many that have gone that route. Or they've gone headlong into sin, and it kills them physically. Literally kills them. But there's a second reason the life he was living really wasn't life at all, and that is because he was spiritually dead. Here's a boy that had a broken relationship with his father. He was living for sinful pleasure. And the Bible says that this kind of life is a sign of spiritual death. 1 Timothy 5, 6 says this, But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Did you get that? Dead even while she lives. So even though this younger son was, was still physically alive, he was spiritually dead. But the beauty of it all is that he came to the realization that he needed to come back to the Father. And notice how he expressed it in verse 18. He said, I will get up and I'll go to my Father and I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. But notice what the Father did. Verse 22, the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and rejoice. For this son of mine was dead, and he has come to life. And they began to celebrate. What a beautiful picture of what God does when... The repentant sinner comes home. When the repentant sinner comes home, a resurrection takes place. A spiritual resurrection. Where one who is spiritually dead and their trespasses and sins is brought to new life in Jesus. And that is reason to rejoice, isn't it? When the spiritually dead come the spiritual life. Thirdly, it's time to rejoice when the lost are found. Although this parable focuses on the turning of the sinner back to the Father, it's important that we see it in its context so we don't misunderstand how this happens. If we had this parable alone, we might think that God is somehow inactive in the life of the sinner. As if all he does is wait for the sinner to come back to him. But we know that's not the whole picture because the two previous parables tell us what happens from God's perspective. The shepherd, what does he do? He's searching for the sheep. The woman with the lost coin, what does she do? She sweeps and, and searches the house. And Jesus makes that clear a few chapters later as He describes why He came. Remember Luke 19.10 when He saw Zacchaeus up in the tree? He said, the Son of Man has come to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. So even though we may not see God working in the lives of those who are lost from His Word, we know that He is. 
And when a person is saved, it becomes very clear to them what God did to draw them to Him. Think of your own life when you came to know Jesus. You might not have realized it at the time, but God was working in various ways and various circumstances to bring you to that place of salvation. So it's not just as if God just waits for you to come. He's seeking as well. So I think we need to understand that in, in, in the context of these, these parables. So when the younger son was restored, it was a time for celebration. The sinner had come to his senses, the dead had come to life, the lost had been found, and the father was desiring to celebrate. But not everyone was happy. And here is where we meet the older son. Verse 25 says, The older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard all this music and dancing, and he gets one of the servants and says, What? What's... What's going on here? And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. Now you might expect the the, the older brother to say, Finally, (laughs) wonderful, let's celebrate. But verse 28 says he was angry. He was not willing to go in. And his father came out and was pleading with him, but he answered and said to his father, he said, Look, Dad, for many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours, and you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And he says, But when this son of yours, notice that, not my brother, but this son of yours, when he comes, he devoured all your wealth, he wasted it away, What do you do? You kill the fattened calf. And the father said, Son, you've always been with me and all that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. There was reason to celebrate. There was reason to rejoice for this brother of yours. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's been found. The older brother, no, no, no doubt, saw his younger brother as the dead one, the lost one, the sinner who needed to repent. But this older brother was just as spiritually dead, just as spiritually lost, and just as sinful as his brother. But he didn't see it. He was spiritually self-deceived. He said to his father in verse 29, I have never neglected a command of yours. Can any of you say that as a child? I have never neglected a command of my father. As nice as I was to my parents, I can't say that. I know my brothers can't say that either. Though they were nice too. That's deception, isn't it? Here was a Son that was spiritually self-deceived, self-righteous, huh? Not like that scoundrel little son of yours. And he viewed his relationship with, with his father as a slave who deserved his wages. He says in verse 29, he says, Look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never connected a command of yours. 
And you never give me anything. You don't give me a goat. You don't have a party for me and my friends. Look at all I've done for you, as if it was this, okay, Dad, if I do this for you, then you better do something for me. And he had no grasp, no understanding of what grace was all about, did he? No understanding of grace. Self-righteous, no understanding of what God's grace is all about. So even though outwardly he may have lived a life that appeared to be much better than his brothers, and yet inwardly he was filled with secret sins that maybe nobody knew about. He, he, he pictures to us the self-righteous people who are lost, and get this, right within the church. They're the people that they go to church and they do their duty and they don't really know Jesus. It's just a self-righteous works thing and have no living relationship with Him. We often call this passage of Scripture the parable of the prodigal son. Probably misnamed. There were two sons in this parable. And they both were lost. They both needed to repent. And so as we think of of, of those who are lost, there are some who are lost out in the world. They've wasted their lives. They're living for pleasure. And we see them and we say, well, it's obvious that they're lost. Maybe so. But there are others who are like the older son. And they are lost right within the church. They may be outwardly connected with a congregation. And yet, do they really know Jesus? Do they really have a living relationship with Him? Or is it just this works self-righteousness? Like the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling that Jesus would welcome sinners. In our statement of faith, our fundamental principles of our church body, principle number four says this. Members of the organized congregation are not in every instance believers. And such members often derive false hope from their external connection with the congregation. It is therefore the sacred obligation of the congregation to purify itself by the quickening preaching of the Word of God. I will never assume that just because you are a member of a church that you really know Jesus. I would be a fool. I would be neglecting the calling that God has given me because not everybody that's connected with the congregation has a living relationship with Jesus. Sometimes you might fool others. But you're not going to fool the Lord. And how foolish it would be to come to this church and Try to make it appear that you really know Jesus if you don't. That's eternal loss. 
Don't make that mistake. So are you like the younger son, living a life of open sin? Or are you like the older son? You appear to be a Christian, but you really aren't. No matter who you are today, the Father wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you life. Eternal life. Through a living relationship with Him. And when you come to Him, He will receive you like the Father received that younger son. Open arms. Rejoicing along with all of heaven that a sinner has come home. One of my favorite stories is about a young man who had wandered from the Lord, had been away from the family for many years. And finally, like this young son in this passage, came to his senses and realized he needed to come home and how good he had it at home. And so he wrote a letter and he said, I'll be driving, I'll be riding on the train that comes through town. And if you're willing to receive me back home, he said, hang a sheet on the clothesline. And so he's riding in this train and the train would go around the corner and then he'd be able to see the home place. His heart started beating fast, wondering what, what would he find? And when he came around the corner, he said, the line was filled with sheets. Because the mother had gone and taken every sheet out of the dresser, stripped all the beds, and hung all those sheets. As if to say, you are welcome home. That's the love of our Heavenly Father. You've been drifting from Him like the younger son, or you've been sitting in this church... Pretending to be something that you aren't. The Father waits with open arms. And that's worth celebrating. When the sinner comes to his senses, when the dead come to life, when the lost are found, then it's time to rejoice. Let's pray. Father, you are good, you are gracious, you love us, you gave your Son for us. We thank you that we can know you in a personal way. We can have that living relationship with you. As we repent of our sins and place our trust in Jesus Christ alone, what he has done for us on the cross, there is forgiveness with you. And so, Lord, as we come to your table this morning, we rejoice in the fact that your blood was shed for us. Your body was broken for us that we might know you and be forgiven of all our sin. Lord, softly and tenderly you call us today to come home. Lord, draw us, we pray. And may our response be, O oh, Father, I have sinned against you. Forgive me and restore me. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.